Well, good morning, Hilton Head Island Community Church. Hope you're doing well this morning. For those of you I don't know, my name's Todd. I'm the lead pastor, and I'm so excited that you are here uh, this morning. There are uh, two things that I just want to talk about before we dive into uh, today's message, the final message uh, in our series, uh, What's Your Story? Uh, the first thing is uh, something Cynthia mentioned earlier, and some of you may have uh, come in after she mentioned it. We are launching uh, a brand new uh, data uh, management system here at our church. And uh, we have been using one for a few years that we have found out you almost need an IT director, like scientists, to understand. So uh, we've gotten something that's simpler and easier to use for our staff and also for you. And so uh, we want to encourage you to uh, take a look at the worship folder today and go home today and sign up for that. Cynthia mentioned that, that that is going to be your link um, to everything happening. And we want to be more than just a Sunday church. And uh, so I want to encourage you to do that. Uh, for those of you who are part of online giving, uh, we'll leave Fellowship One up for a little while, but, and you can still give there, but we want you to switch over and you can go to the giving page of our website to do that. All of the uh, information that you need, as Cynthia mentioned, is uh, been emailed to most of you, but if not, there is some information. It's on a sheet that looks just like this back at guest services. And the link to this is email. And so uh, whatever your email address is, you know, the one that you check, um, that's the one that you need to sign up with. And so, um, man, let me talk to you for a minute. I mentioned the one that you check, right? Okay, so a lot of you guys are like, yeah, I don't check my email. Uh, you know, I have my wife do that. I get it. I really do. I really understand that. But that day's over, man, if you want to be a part of the church. So uh, I want to encourage you guys especially to go and be a part of this. Uh, man, uh, it's a digital age, and, and this will be so uh, helpful for you to receive information on what is happening in the life of our church. And so I want to encourage you to make sure that you do that. It takes no more than about five minutes to set that up. So uh, it'll be kind of your uh, portal for everything here at the church. So I want to uh, just remind you about that, and we'll be sending reminders out over the next few weeks about that. The second thing is school begins tomorrow for our public schools. Yay! Come on, students. Silence. Moms. Yay! All right, moms. Okay, there we go. Yeah. So um, here's what I want to do. Um, this past couple weeks, we as a church have had teacher appreciation days uh, for our teachers and administration, faculty, and staff at our schools. We have been to the uh, Christian Academy. We've been to the middle school. Uh, we've been to the Early Childhood edu uh, Education Center and the high school this past Friday. And so um, we were part of serving hamburgers and hot dogs for our barbecue crew. And um, I'm just so thankful for those of you who served. Thank you so much for serving. But even more than that, we're thankful for our teachers, aren't we? And so I'm going to ask those of you who are part of our education system, if you're a teacher or if you're part of a faculty, staff, administration, I'm going to ask you to stand for a moment and remain standing. I want to, we want to honor you and we want to pray over you this morning. Stand up. If you're a teacher, please don't be embarrassed. Come on, teachers. All right, you're going to be telling kids what to do tomorrow. So, all right, stand up. There we go. Awesome. Why don't you give them a round of applause this morning? Stay standing. Stay standing. We are so thankful for all that you all do. Uh, in, in all sincerity, for our children and for our community. Um, in many cases, our children spend so much time in your classrooms and in your schools, and we are so thankful. So I'm going to ask that uh, all of you stand, and let's pray a prayer of blessing over those teachers. All of you stand. Let's pray a prayer of blessing. And if one is near you, if one of those teachers, administration, or staff is near you, why don't you just reach out and touch their shoulder this morning as we pray for our teachers and 
for our students, okay? Father God, thank you so much for the influence that our educators make in our society and in our culture. And God, many of these folks are called to teach our kids. And God, it all began last week, and in many cases, it begins tomorrow. As someone said to me this morning, they show up tomorrow. And Father God, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would be with these folks who pour hours and hours and hours of time and energy and effort and discipline and passion into our children. I pray that you would protect them, that you would guide them, that you would be with their students. And Father God, I pray for a fantastic year for our schools here on our island and in the low country. And we thank you so much for their lives. Now be with us and guide us as we wrap up our series, What's Your Story, God? And I pray that you would challenge us, that your Holy Spirit would guide us into truth and into wisdom this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, and all God's people said, amen, amen. You can be seated. You can be seated. Well, we're in the final uh, episode, I guess you could say, final uh, Sunday in this message series that we've been in, uh, What's Your Story? And the whole purpose of this particular series has really to, uh, been to, to be an encouragement and a challenge and, and really give you biblical information on what it means uh, to share your spiritual story. Uh, not just the story of your life, although that's probably very interesting and important and uh, fun for you to talk about, but uh, one of the things that we are called to do, in fact, the thing that we're called to do as Christ followers is to share what God has done in our lives. And so this is actually a message series that really was birthed out of two conversations that I had a week apart about six or nine months ago. Um, someone, uh, two different people said to me, man, I, I just need some help. I need some encouragement um, to tell people about my relationship with Jesus, about how God has changed me. And I need a few tools and I need a few handles. And it kind of sparked in me the idea of us doing a series uh, on that because we talk a lot about it. Uh, but we don't often make the connection with what to do. And so we've centered around this idea of sharing your story. And in week one, we found out that our story is important. That your story, where, wherever you are, if you're a Christ follower, wherever you are, whether you've you know, kind of been far from God for a while or whether it's like this renewed commitment or maybe a brand new commitment, your story is the gospel message. The gospel means the good news. And so your story is, in, in essence, the gospel message because it's God redeeming you and, and who you are through the person of Jesus Christ. And so we learned in week one that your story is important. In week two, we had Clint Trebesh here from, uh, he's one of our missionaries from uh, Georgia State. He's with the Navigators. And uh, he brought a message on how to break the ice. Because one of the biggest struggles I've found, I don't know about you, is just getting the story started, isn't it? And so he gave us some great examples of how we can break the ice in starting spiritual conversations. Last week, uh, I kind of wrapped up the challenge to be putting your story together. How many of you, okay, here's, here's like the end of the homework, okay, I'm going to be uh, an educator for a moment. Uh, how many of you have been working on your story? I mean, you've really given it a shot here. Raise your hand, don't be embarrassed. If it's like two of you, I won't be that disappointed, okay? Raise your hand if like you've been working on this. Okay, there's a, there's a handful of you. Someone said this morning, I want you to know, someone said to me this morning, um, I can't tell you what it's done for me 
personally in my spiritual life because it made me realize when I put together the idea of who I was in the past and my encounter with Christ and now who I am after Christ, um, they told me that it's amazing how they kind of saw um, who they were before Christ and it challenged and spurred them on. Um, to resist being that person again. And so um, I want to challenge you. This is not going to only be good for those you share it with, but it's also going to be good for your spiritual life. And so we talked about putting that together in a, in a transparent and honest and, and compelling way last week. And today we wrap up this series. We bring it to a, a conclusion. And my prayer after today is, is that you haven't been here for four weeks or maybe gotten on our podcast and just listened and just gained information for information's sake and thought, well, this is a nice, challenging uh, a series. My prayer and my hope for all of us, myself included, is that this, these four weeks would really spur us on to when we have the opportunity to take the opportunity to share what God is and has done in our lives because that is the greatest thing that we can share to someone else, isn't it? That's the greatest thing that we can share with someone else. And so my challenge to you is, is to be thinking about the people or the person in your life who you can share your story with. Cynthia and I were in Atlanta a few weeks ago, and we happened to be in Atlanta on the day before the first patient was to arrive uh, uh, from uh, West Africa that had contracted the Ebola virus. It was the first person ever to come into the United States who had Ebola, and Dr. Kent Brantley was arriving the day after we left. And it was on the news, and everyone in Atlanta, there was kind of this like thought of panic, and there was this thought of, why are they doing this? They shouldn't do this. And then a few days later, the other person, uh, uh, there was Dr. Kent Brantley and then also Nancy Wrightbold who arrived in Atlanta. And we were there while this was going on and it was really kind of an interesting time. And I, I kind of caused me to beckon back because um, the week that Cynthia and I got married in 1995, um, there was a huge Ebola outbreak then. So it kind of uh, reminded me of that period of time because you heard a lot of the same fears and you heard, a lot of this, you heard a lot of the same concerns around the world about this virus that is a killer virus. And, and some of you know this, some of you kind of keep up to speed on this. The current uh, Ebola outbreak in West Africa has claimed over 1,100 lives. And it's the worst Ebola outbreak since they found out about this back in the 19, like late 60s and early 70s. And so it's claimed 1,100 lives, and I think over 2,000 people have contracted it. And it is a real serious thing. And it could be a real serious thing if we aren't careful and if we don't find, as a society and as, as humanity, if we don't find a cure for this. And the thought occurred to me while we were in Atlanta, hearing the fear and the doom and the gloom that you heard about from all the people who lived in Atlanta that disagreed with these people coming back in. And by the way, if you've kept up with it, both of them are strong Christ followers. And both of them are doing remarkably well. God is healing them because they're getting treatment. But the thought as I heard about this, when I kept hearing there is no known cure for the Ebola virus, the thought kept coming to me, my goodness, how in the world in 2014 is there no cure? Am I the only one that thought that? Like, there's got to be some scientist or doctor somewhere in a laboratory or maybe in a basement that's found a cure, right? I mean, those thoughts go through your mind. Like, how in the world? I mean, we can, 
We can put a rocket into space. We can send a man to the moon. We've split the atom, but we can't find a cure for this disease. And that thought occurred to me. I bet somewhere, someone or a group of people have found a cure, and they're just sitting on it. They're just holding back. What if that were the case? Just go with me for a moment. Okay, I'm not saying that like I have a best friend that called me up and is like, hey, I found a cure and I'm just like going to wait. But like, what if that were the case? What if somewhere in the world um, we had the cure for the Ebola virus and someone for whatever reason just decided, you know what, I'm just not going to let people know. What would we think as a society? What would we think? That's sinister. Isn't that what we would think? That's terribly selfish for whatever reason. That's awful. In fact, you know what? It probably would end up being criminal, wouldn't it? Like, I have the cure. It's right here. I can tell you about it. I know what it means, but I'm not going to release this information. When you and I, when you and I, when you and I keep inside the story of what God has done in our lives. We are doing the same sinister, same selfish, same nearly criminal thing to people. But listen to me, listen to me this morning. This doesn't have to do with life and death. What we are hiding when we hide it, let's face it, we all have hidden it from a time or two, right? When we hide it, eternity, eternity may very well hang in the balance for the person that we decide not to share our story with. It's not just a life or death or health decision. It is a decision that could potentially, could potentially keep someone, please don't miss this today, out of hell. For eternity. Because the story that you and I have to tell, the story that God has done in us, those of you who are Christ followers, is a story of our sins keeping us from God. Here's God on one side, here's us on the other, and the gap is our sin. It's everyone's sin. It's your sin and it's my sin. And God, in his divine love and grace for us, sent Jesus to this earth to die on a cross, to take away our sins so that we can have a relationship with God Almighty forever in heaven. That's the story of the Bible. That's the good news. And you and I all have that good news contained, woven into the fabric of our story. And for us to not share it is like holding on to the cure for eternity. And I say all that not to hit you over the head with a stick, not to uh, cause you to feel guilty, but to stir you on and stir you up and press you and me forward to realize how vital our stories are. If you have your notes, take a look at your notes. We're going to hit three very brief notes this morning as we wrap up this series three very brief notes this morning. The first thing is, the first point is your story. Your story 
has the power to change lives. So don't be afraid to tell it. Your story has the power to do more than a cure for Ebola. Because your story contains in it the cure for eternity. Are you with me this morning? Are you with me? Like your story has the power to change people for eternity. That is an important thing, isn't it? That is a powerful thing. Who you were before you met Christ, your encounter with Christ, and now who you are after Christ, and underline all that, the fact that because you've accepted him as your savior, you are gonna spend eternity with God in heaven. That is an amazing story. It's the most amazing story. And your story, regardless of whether you think it's great or not, your story has the power to change lives for eternity. I said it last week and I'll say it again. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 15. He says, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand and it gives light to all the house. It gives light to all the house. Your story can be a light in a dark world and you'll never know what the impact of that story is. Jesus has a, a group of people that um, he found um, out on the sea. They were uh, some of his disciples and some fishermen. And uh, Mark 5 records a, an, an amazing story of Jesus uh, walking on water and getting in the boat with some of these fishermen and calming the seas. And most of you know that story. A lot of you have heard that story from uh, the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark. But, a, but a, the part of the story that a lot of you don't know is that when they got to the other side, they were on the Sea of Galilee, and there was this storm, and Jesus calmed it. When they got to the other side, Mark 5 says that Jesus immediately encountered a man who lived in a graveyard and was demon-possessed. It's like a good movie. Well, it's like a bad movie, but anyway, it's a, like a movie. Like he gets on shore after the storm and after calming the storm, and the first person he encounters is this man who confronts him, and Jesus confronts him, and he calls himself Legion, which was actually the demons. It wasn't just one demon. It was multiple demons. And this man named Legion confronts Jesus, and the demons confront Jesus, and Jesus essentially takes that man and heals him by sending that spirit, that evil spirit, that satanic spirit, into some pigs, and these pigs run off a cliff down into the Sea of Galilee and die, and the demons die with them. It really does sound like a, a movie, doesn't it? I mean, it really does. But it's true. It's a true story. It's from the Bible, the inspired word of God. But this man who was cured of this demon possession that he had had all of his life is so overcome with joy and thanksgiving to Jesus that he wants to get back in the boat with Jesus. He wants to go back over to the other side to the Sea of Galilee. He wanted to follow Jesus. And this is one unusual instance where Jesus tells him no. Take a look at Mark chapter 5. Verses 19 and 20. I love this. Jesus said in verse 19, He did not permit this man, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And so verse 20 says, He went away. He went away, verse 20, and he began to, what's that next word? Okay, we said a few weeks ago that we can't say proclaim like, hey, proclaim. We can't say proclaim like this. So what's the next word? 
Proclaim. All right, there we go. There we go. That was much better. Okay, so he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Here's what happened in this story. This demon-possessed man was healed by Jesus. He wants to follow Jesus. Jesus says, no, you have such an amazing story to tell. You need to go into the Decapolis. This was a Roman city, one of 10 little cities or towns that had been pulled away from the Jewish uh, rule of that day. And he goes into that town. He was probably Gentile. He was probably Roman, most people believe. And he went into that town and he told his people what God had done. And people began to follow Jesus because of this man's story. You see, Jesus in that instance recognized that this man had the power to change other lives. And Jesus tells this man to tell his friends. The word tell is different than proclaim. All Jesus was saying was go tell your friends. If there's whisper down here and there's tell here and this is proclaim... The guy took it up a notch, didn't he? Jesus told him to go tell. And what did he do? He proclaimed it. It's a different word in the Greek. It's a completely different word. Jesus just told him to tell it. He went in and he shouted it from the rooftops. You know what he did? He gave a sermon. He gathered people around and said, I cannot believe what God has done in my life and you need to know about it. You see, that's what we are supposed to do. That's what you and I are supposed to do. And we will not be able to do it, first of all, until we realize the power that our stories contained, not because of us, but because of what God did in us. We'll get to that in a moment. We have the power, our stories have the power to change lives. But if we keep it silent, if we just sit on it, if we keep it inside, if we say they don't want to hear it, it's inappropriate to engage with them. I think they have other needs. We do them potentially an eternal disservice. Your story has the power to change lives, so don't miss telling it. When it comes to sharing our story, I think it's easier said than done, isn't it? I mean, there are obstacles, aren't there? Clint talked a lot, a lot about the obstacles that we have in sharing our story. He talked about that we're too tired or maybe we're too nervous or that we don't care enough. There are obstacles that we have. Maybe we're not courageous enough. Maybe we're afraid of embarrassment. He talked about that. But one of the, the, the centerpiece of all of those objects is this idea of fear and is this idea of maybe uh, not allowing ourselves to really be selfless and confidence and maybe even lack uh, a, a fear of a lack of clarity. Point number two this morning. Point number two. You can overcome obstacles in telling your story when you move from self-reliance to God-reliance. I understand the fear of telling the spiritual story because I have it just like you, you do. Clint admitted he has it just like you do. And let me tell you something, I've watched him do it. You wouldn't know he has fear. You would not have any clue that Clint has fear when he tells the story of what God has done in his life. And here's the reason why. Because Clint has moved from a place of relying on him to relying on God to be able to speak through him. 
The Bible has so much to say about us relying on God. All the way back in Isaiah, we read these words, Isaiah 41, 13. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand, he says. He holds our right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. If you're a student in here and you have a friend that you know school starts tomorrow and you know that last year, listen, you missed an opportunity. You missed an opportunity just to say, hey, listen, I know you're going through this. I know your parents are doing this. I know that, like, you know, you've been involved in this, but I just want to tell you my story. You can take away that fear and replace it with confidence when you truly rely on God. Fear not, I am the one who helps you. If you have someone in your neighborhood and you've just been scared to enter into that conversation, Jesus says, it is I. I'm the one that can help you. You can rely on God. I can rely on God to be the one to give us strength in that. Jesus talks about this in John 14, 26, when he tells us that one is coming John 14, 26 says this, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. If you're a student today, you're like, good, I need that tomorrow. He'll teach me all things. He will teach you all things, and listen to this, bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. We were, we were in Belize and, and when we were on mission in Belize a few weeks ago, I had the opportunity one day kind of to talk to one of the national guys there. They all speak English. I didn't have to speak Spanish, although I wish I knew Spanish. But um, we were speaking, and we were having a great conversation. And I kept, like, thinking of this one verse that I wanted to tell him. And I kept thinking, and I couldn't remember it because it applied to his life. And in an instant, God divinely brought that verse to me. Because in that moment, I'll tell you, there are other moments I've failed at this. I wasn't relying on God. But in that moment, I relied on God, and he brought that verse to mind. And I have a terrible memory, awful memory. God can help bring to remembrance all that he said. Acts 1.8, when Jesus came back to this earth right before the Holy Spirit came down on the first church, he says this, but right before he leaves, the final time, he says this to the disciples, but you will receive what? Does that next word say? Power. We can't say power weekly either, can we? Okay. You will receive what? Power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Right there when Jesus is talking about being my witnesses and telling other people about the story of what God's done in your life, he said, you will have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will bring you the power to be able to be what my witnesses. I'm planning a whole message series on the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives that's going to happen sometime probably in 2015. And we'll talk about that in detail. But one of the roles is that he gives us the confidence. The Spirit of God gives us the confidence to be able to witness. And finally, in Romans 8, 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. God's Spirit can help you in your weakness, especially when you're witnessing, especially when you're on mission for him. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. And when we, listen, Christ follower today, whether you're a brand new Christian or whether you've been a Christ follower for a long time, 
Because uh, let's face it, some of you who have just given your life to God, um, you're more on fire and you're more like passionate about this than those of us who have been Christ followers for decades. We sometimes allow it to become stale, don't we? We do. Let's just face it. Regardless of where you are, when you rely on the Spirit of God, and this is in your notes this morning, fear is replaced with confidence, selfishness is replaced with selflessness, and confusion is replaced with clarity. Fear is replaced with confidence. Selfishness is replaced with selflessness, and confusion is replaced with clarity. And finally, point number three this morning, we should do none of this. Everything that we've talked about over the last four weeks, we should do none of it until we have prayed and asked for God's help in this. The old, some of you may remember this man's name. Some of you have been Christ followers for a long time. A guy by the name of J. Vernon McGee. He was the Bible radio teacher for decades, all the way through the 60s and 70s before he died in 19, I believe, 88 or 87. And he would say this, evangelism without prayer is nothing. Speaking your story to a friend without you first praying for that friend and praying for you and praying for the whole situation is nothing. When you are ready to share your story, pray and ask the Spirit of God to speak through you. I want to say it again, John 14, 26, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father sends in mine, my name, he will teach you and he will bring things to remembrance of you. Matthew 10, 20 says this, for it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. It is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father, the Spirit of God will speak through you. You see, listen, I want you to hear this today, Christ follower. We, we, we are just a tool in God's hands here on earth for our 30 or 50 or 90 years while we're here on earth. We are a simply someone, a mouthpiece to be used to communicate our story of how God changed our lives. That's it. That's it. I want you to hear this this morning. It's God's work to speak through you. It's God's work to bring that person to Christ. It's God's work to give you the words to say, to give you the verses that maybe you need to remember, or the part of the story that you're struggling with that you need to communicate, or the part of the story that makes you emotional about your past and what God's done now. God will help you if you commit this to prayer. And so the bottom line this morning is we rely on God's Spirit to guide us. There is no telling the impact. There is no telling the impact that our story can have on other people. There's no telling the impact that our story can have on other people. I, I want to tell you a story here in closing. I have a friend. His name's Bob Shoemaker. Bob has been coming to this church for the last five years or so, and early this year he came into my office and he said, I just found out at 64 years old I have terminal cancer. Well, Bob Shoemaker, you Many of you saw him in the parking lot. He would be out there with a very nice leather jacket. Even if it was raining, he would be out there in a nice leather jacket holding up an umbrella. He was a committed, committed man, a man of God. A couple of us went this week to Bob's funeral. He passed away a few weeks ago. But Bob is in heaven today. He's with Jesus. 
And he got to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. Because Bob, when he was in his 30s, made the decision to accept Jesus Christ as his Savior. But you know, he didn't do that just void, just by himself. It didn't just happen. He didn't just one day fall on his knees and the Bible just opened right to the verse that he needed to hear. Although I believe that could happen. He became a Christ follower because a neurosurgeon came to his house for three nights in a row and gave the gospel message to he and his wife. And he and his wife accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. That neurosurgeon did that because some friends of his said, man, we, we want to tell you so much about this, um, and I, you have so many detailed questions. We feel like we need to have someone to answer. They did that because of other people in his life that were, were speaking to him through Campus Crusade for Christ. It was a series of people who led Bob to the Lord. And after the memorial service on Friday, Someone came up to me and said, you know, I'm a Christian because of Bob Shoemaker. I'm a Christ follower. I'm going to heaven because Bob told me his story. Listen, Christ follower, we're not dealing with a, an Ebola virus, a simple life and death situation. We are dealing with eternity. And your story is important. It is of the utmost importance. Imagine what would happen if you shared your story with just one person? This is Nate. Nate became a Christ follower two weeks ago and is still a bit giddy about it. Now he's trying not to do cartwheels in public. Nate became a believer partly because of Kim. Yet, oddly enough, Kim and Nate have never met. How is this possible? Well, let's take a look. Kim loved Jesus from an early age, and in college she had a huge impact on her friends. While most of her peers used their college years to, well, experiment, Kim didn't. She remained committed to her faith, and it showed. It especially showed to Lisa, her roommate confessed to Kim that she wanted whatever it was that made Kim so strong. Kim shared her faith with Lisa, and Lisa believed. Years later, at Lisa's first real job, she met Thomas. Thomas was hit by a drunk driver when he was 13 and still carried a lot of anger and bitterness. Thomas and Lisa became friends, and it wasn't long before he started going to church with Lisa and her husband. After a lot of studying and searching, Thomas gave his life to Christ. Fast forward a few years. Thomas became a public speaker and was often asked to speak at large events. See, when he became a believer, Thomas developed a new perspective on life. He stopped resenting what had been taken from him and started being thankful for the second chance he had been given. On one particular day, Thomas shared about overcoming hardship and what it means to choose joy. He was so passionate that a number of people were inspired to share a link to his video. The video of Thomas inspired James, too. And if anyone needed inspiration, it was him. James had a ton of issues. He spent most of his life as a passive husband, an absent father, and a horrible friend. That said, no one disliked him more than he disliked himself. But everything changed the night he happened to watch Thomas online. Something clicked and he knew what he had to do. He surrendered his miserable life to someone greater, and he was forever changed. 
James fought hard to make up for the lost years with his family. And he also began working with young men who were in danger of throwing their lives away. One of those men was Nate. Nate didn't really know his own dad, and he had no real direction in life, ultimately bouncing from one bad decision to another. Because of that, he often found himself in trouble with the law. No one had ever showed him what it looked like to be a real man. That is, until he met James. James became the first father figure Nate ever had. He learned about honesty, self-control, humility, and integrity, and where those traits come from. Two months later, Nate publicly declared his belief in Christ. And of course, James was there. Now you can see the connection. Nate was impacted by James, who was influenced by Thomas. Thomas saw an uncommon joy in Lisa, who learned of Jesus from Kim. Kim's relationship with God eventually led to Nate's. Funny how these two people have never met and never will. And Father God, I just pray that you would give us, that your Holy Spirit would give us the power and the confidence and the courage to share our story even if it's just with one person. And God, I pray for those who are in here today, um, and there's a person in mind. In fact, if you have a person in mind, I, I'm just going to have you slip up your hand that you need to share with. Just slip up your hand and keep it up for a minute. I want to pray a prayer blessing over you. Raise those hands this morning. You can think of a person that you need to share your story with, that God is telling you, man, it's time. Give me a James or a Tom or a Lisa. Just raise those hands for a moment. Father God, I pray in the strong name of Jesus for those who are saying, I've got someone I need to share with the story of what you've done in my life. And Father God, I pray in the strong name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would give them the courage to be able to share that story. God, it doesn't matter who they are or how dramatic their story is. It contains the power of the gospel. And I pray that you would send them from this place ready to share that story. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would make those people ready to receive that story. And Father God, I pray that those who have their hands up would be like those we just heard about, like Bob Shoemaker like the neurosurgeon that led him, like the three and four and other people that led up to that point. And Father God, I pray that we as a church would be committed and passionate and serious, not about ourselves, but about the work that you've done in us so much to the point that we would share it with other people. And I pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.